Welcome to Be a B2B Leader, your B2B knowledge base. In this podcast, we'll show you what you have to learn to be a modern leader in the B2B world. Because true leaders are made, not born. Hello and welcome. I'm Felician and I'm today here with Vladimir Blagojevic, the co-founder of FullFunnel.io, where they help B2B tech brands implement full funnel marketing. Very happy to have you here today, Vladimir. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Very pleased that you are here because we have a very interesting topic for all people working in B2B, and that's all about marketing. So please tell me, what should every B2B leader know about all about marketing? What is it and okay. all the essentials? It's To be honest, it's a term that we invented a little bit just to indicate kind of a mix between inbound and outbound, right? And if you look at these two approaches to marketing individually, I think it's interesting to just look at how people are, how teams are usually marketing and why doesn't it work and, and why this is not enough. So if you look at outbound marketing, usually the way it is done, it is you're basically reaching out to a number of people, you, you, make, you make a list of, of potential buyers, Unfortunately, people make very long lists that they don't make very precise. They don't do a lot of personalization. But even then, if you do only that, um, what happens is you are reaching out to cold audience. And even it doesn't even have to be a pure outbound. I mean, equivalent of that with um, marketing automation would be, I don't know, for example, running ads on cold audience that doesn't know you and sending them to a landing page, right? So... From my perspective, they're not that very different. And the reason why this doesn't work that well is because the majority of buyers are not really buying at that stage, right? And so when you're reaching out to them, you're kind of playing the game of numbers, hoping that you're just reaching those, whatever, three, four, five percent of people who are actually buying a product like uh, like yours, but which is okay, which is fine, which is, you know, fine to, to think about, okay, how can I capture the existing demand, in other words? But even if that's all you're doing, even if you land uh, an opportunity, um, which is very hard, I mean, usually people have a very low response rates, they have a uh, very high cost of acquisition and all of these things. It's the problem is... It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game, absolutely. And even if you get people who are buying right now, you're still at a disadvantage because you're usually coming too late in the game. So what I mean by that is there are other people, there are other vendors who are competing there. Uh, so you're, if you're chosen, you're usually chosen as a kind of a benchmark and the other vendors have an advantage if they've been like building this relationship, building this narrative and positioning with, the, with your buyer. So you are basically in a disadvantage and in addition, when you do it like that with cold outreach, you're really positioning yourself as a commodity. Like, there's no other way. I mean, you're not positioned in a unique way. You're just one of the many who are doing the same. And so that's, that's outbound and outbound alone. Now, if you look at the inbound, on the other hand, it's all about, I mean, let's look at again how people are doing that. Well, first of all, the key to inbound is uh, content, right? Now, if you look at how a lot of people or how a lot of B2B companies are creating content, it's usually some sort of a weekly SEO-driven blog, uh, quarterly white paper, uh, driving MQLs, right? Maybe you're 
also running some webinars or whatever. But there's two problems with that. First of all, the content that is built like that very often, unfortunately, is not really, it's boring, it's superficial, it's me to content that doesn't really like, it's not really going to influence the target buyers. Uh, sometimes the content that is produced is quite salesy, really more about the product features than really about, it's not really educational content, but even that aside, let's say you, you do get the right content and people, let's say, download your white paper, they join your webinar, the problem there is if you send those people directly to sales, they are not going to buy because they are, the, 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 this is not the buying intent. Like me wanting to watch a webinar is, okay, I want to learn something. It doesn't mean that I'm ready to buy your product. So if you treat buyers like that, that has, that's the reason why this doesn't work. And I've seen this over and over again. I mean, just to take a quick example of a, of a campaign that I studied, which was exactly set up like this, right? So it was exactly like that. It was running uh, ads on LinkedIn. They had... They spent about 30,000 euros over six months. They generated about 1,300 leads, MQLs really, uh, who downloaded, I think, a white paper. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what, what kind of asset they, they were uh, sent. And then they were put into a five-step email nurturing sequence. And uh, they were thinking that they were do doing a good job because maybe three, 400 out of those 1,300 were the exact right people from the exact right companies. But when I just checked their CRM and to really looked at if, if any of those uh, leads has converted, the, the truth was no, they didn't have, they had maybe two sales opportunities. It was even a question, one of them, whether it was generated this way or another way, and they didn't close any of them. And that's like such a big effort, a lot of money spent for little results. And uh, the five-step five email nurture sequence doesn't really, doesn't really solve that. But let's say, let's say you really nail this. You like figure it out. You have really good content. You have a really good nurturing, etc. Still, there is a missing component there because you're still in inbound by definition uh, waiting for people to come to you. And that's fine. I mean, there are people, yeah. if you really did a good job with demand generation and, you know, uh, a little bit better than the way we described it, you, yeah. you will be getting some inbound opportunities and inbound leads. Usually, unfortunately, I know because we work with companies with high ACV, annual contract value, and we see that usually the inbound leads that they're getting uh, using these kind of tactics, they're getting usually much smaller uh, deals, uh, one like this. They, they don't get the biggest deal uh, one. And... Um, and even like I said, like even if you do it all, you're still kind of leaving money on the table because uh, you're not really, you, you can still do, and we know this from the experience, you can still actually use the demand that you have created or interest that you have created, the engagement that you have created with your inbound activities. You can, there is no reason why you shouldn't be working with your sales team to turn that engagement into conversations, right? So you're... Yeah generating awareness you're generating demand that that will be the, the definition of the old bound so where you like the first step would be generating this awareness and demand with your target accounts uh we can talk more about that if you want what what how can that look like uh what what are the ways in which you can do that second um some buyers are ready to you uh, ready to buy and they will reach out to you some buyers are not ready to buy right so what do you do with those so you can still turn these engagements into conversations. You can still 
you know, offer to take that, let's say, relationship to the next step. And that's the outbound part of the outbound without being salesy, without, you know, pitching them. First of all, they know you. You're not reaching out cold. They already know you. You're not pitching your product necessarily. You're just, uh, let's say, the right action at the right time, presenting the next possible step and, and moving the relationship fo forward. And then again, <clears throat> you can like keep on keep on nurturing those accounts, uh, those buyers, and uh, you know eventually, you know either either they will become ready and reach out to you. You can try different approaches. You can try different ways to engage them. And you know over time, I don't think it's a question of whether we are going to generate a, a opportunity. If we have really good positioning, if we have really very clear idea about who our ideal accounts are. We have this list and we've been working on this for, let's say, two or three years. The question is more when, right? So I do honestly believe that with the right approach, you can be generating opportunities with, we always say like at least 20%, but if you're really patient, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, and if you really have a competitive advantage for that specific niche, it, this, this, this can be like even 50% plus. Uh, over time, right? Yeah, obviously. Like, that's the nice thing because you're building a real relationship with those people. Like, it's not that they come once and you just blast them and try nurturing till they become a customer. Like, if you want to sell a high ACV product or a solution or service, whatever, like, people don't buy that way. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to sell something for $50,000 based on free emails sent. At the same time, if someone reads an article about the latest tech trends in, let's say, the transport and logistics industry and downloads a checklist, it doesn't mean that they are ready to buy. Yeah. Like, they didn't even say that they are interested at all. Absolutely. So even the way buyers buy today, it has changed a lot. Like, uh, HubSpot, yeah, they created their inbound playbook, what, over 10 years ago? And maybe back then it was working, but today those are completely different times. And yeah, I would like to ask you, how do buyers buy today? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, basically the buyers, especially buyers of more expensive services. I mean, what, what's going on if you if you look at a typical, let's say, B two B company? potential customer account, target account. Mm -hmm. People um, in there are have issues. Like, okay, first of all, the fact that you may be like a marketer or marketing director, whatever, doesn't mean that you're buying marketing technology or marketing services at that moment. Okay, of course, right? Why? And because mm -hmm. first of all, do you have the issues that uh, people can solve for you? But even like if you have those issues, we should realize that the majority of us have always some issues and we are always doing our best so usually the way that this works is that there is a some sort of a triggering event that makes those issues uh relevant so let's say that marketing director uh, is not buying let's say abm services or or, or tools but maybe yeah. his ceo has the second time in the row a bad re bad um, board meeting and he gets rid because he missed the targets 
And of course, in companies like this, shit rolls downhill, as they say. <laughs> and what happens is, of course, you have to start figuring out okay, why is this happening and what can we do about it, etc. And then it's actually how the buyer journey starts. The buyer journey doesn't start with a click on your website. It doesn't start by somebody reading your email, right? Maybe, maybe it actually makes sense to illustrate it with a quick example. So, and it's a real example of, of how we uh, generate an opportunity, how we close a deal, and I find it very illustrative. Um, so, for example, in this case, a marketer, you know, let's say a marketing manager, mid-management mid marketer, sees a comment by his friend named on my LinkedIn post, and then he maybe reads the post and he likes it, and based, based on that, so this is the outbound part, I may reach out to him and connect to him and mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, thanks for, you know, uh, thanks for the support on my post and, and things like that, and maybe try to start a conversation. And I mentioned, I may mention, for example, okay, we, by the way, we have this B2B marketing com community called the Trenches that you, you know very well, and he may be interested and he joins. But nothing happens. Like, there's nothing, there's no sale, there's nothing that happens at that time. Maybe a few weeks later, uh, he sees an announcement in the community or on LinkedIn for a partner webinar that we are running and you know he decides to join and i send him um after that web webinar maybe i just reach out to him and say thanks for following the webinar was that something interesting that you learned and uh you know we also have a case study that that we shared there and i may share this case study with him right and he may sh share this case study internally and this is something that happens very often this is what they my call like the dark social. I mean, I've, I've had actually recently closed yeah. a client and I was just looking at the history of our messages and I saw that one of the first messages he shared with me, he said like, uh, we've been sharing your diagrams in, on the internal Slack all the time, right? So basically I didn't know anything. I didn't know what they were doing. So that's why the dark, right? In the dark social, yeah, you, you can't track it at all. Absolutely, you can. there's no attribution. There's no tracking. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have never seen them uh, like uh, liking or commenting all his colleagues. But once I started speaking to them, I spoke to. So this was the CFO, by the way. It was very weird. So it was the CFO who, who, yeah. who told me this and we had a conversation. And then finally, he decided to introduce me to his COO. So I spoke to the CEO before I spoke to the um, head of demand generation, which was their top marketer at the time. So they were still hiring. And what I learned is, then I learned like they all knew me and the way that they knew me was through the sharing and all that, things that I absolutely didn't have any idea about. So maybe they share this, right? And then still, there's still no opportunity, right? So maybe if I share it, there is actually the way that we would share this would be using some sort of content analytics so that I know that they've been checking out this content. So then maybe I reach out to this, let's say the marketer shared this with the CMO and I see that she has maybe read the case study and I may reach out to her, try to connect with her on LinkedIn, ask her what she thought. And maybe she still says nothing. Like she still like says, okay, nothing. But maybe she starts following me too on LinkedIn, right? And then again, another few months may pass in, in the meantime. This is like, this is like real. This happens all the time, right? And now... There is a triggering event. So in this case, they were simply planning uh, for the next, you know, year. They were reviewing the, re the performance of this year. They were planning for the next year, and she was like, 
interested to know, okay, how can we grow, you know, marketing source revenue? And she saw an announcement about the summit that we run, right? This was like a conference that we run with a lot of mm -hmm. leaders. And she thought, well, this is a really cool way for us to get a lot of inspiration for our plan. So she sent her marketer to attend the summit. He attended one of the sessions where we shared our framework. He took a screenshot, shared this with a, <laughs> shared this with the CMO, and because the time was right, because there was this triggering event, she decided to check our website. Meanwhile, checking our website, still I don't know. I uh, she reached out to one of the clients that she saw there, and because she said, "Oh, I knew, I know this guy," she reached out to them to ask for a reference, got a good reference, asked the marketer to reach out to me. Etc. Etc. I mean, there were there were actually another maybe uh, five or ten steps that happened, but you can see how actually if you go back to to what you were saying, this was not a five-step email nurturing sequence. This was actually nurturing, but via different channels, by and 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 without me knowing even. So the only thing that I can control is being consistently. You know, with valuable content being consistently on different channels that are relevant for my, so in our case, this would be like the podcast, that summit that we run, the LinkedIn, you know, our newsletter, uh, our community. Uh, these are the things that work for us. You know, every, every company needs to figure out what will work yeah. for them. Just regularly being there, making content that will actually, they will want to consume and share on the places that we cannot get to. And at the same time, always checking these engagement triggers and seeing, okay, can I move this to the next step? Can I offer him something more? Just to make sure that if they are maybe ready to take this relationship to the next step, that they have that chance, that I don't leave it to the chance, maybe better said, right? Yes. And so this is, how, uh, this is how this actually looks like, both from the buyer perspective and from our perspective of, how you can actually influence uh, influence that buyer journey. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, it makes very much sense. I love this breakdown because you showed them both sides, like what was happening on their end and what you have seen. And you know what I like most about this approach? That you aren't pushy. Because we can so, see so many salespeople or even marketers just being pushy with their tactics. And yeah, it just, yeah. If I'm uh, on the buying end, I will just stop responding and stop looking at their company. I will unfollow them and stuff like that. Especially, but especially if you're not buying, your so especially if I'm assuming, I'm making yeah. an assumption that you're interested. I'm making an assumption that this is a priority. I'm being pushy. It makes no sense. It's like meeting somebody in the bar for the yeah. first time. I don't know, like uh, somebody you like. And proposing them, you know, <laughs> you know proposing a marriage, yeah. there, right? It makes no sense. <laughs> the only thing you can hope for is maybe to get to get a, a date, have a coffee with them, maybe buy them a drink, have a little conversation. That's all you can hope for. And it's not, not different, of course, yeah. in complex business relationships, you know? So uh, that's definitely a way to think about it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be a mindset shift because I think as marketers, many of us just were obsessed with quantitative data and we like to look at numbers. So we see that there are 500 MQLs, so many people in the pipeline. 
but we don't look at the fact that just one person of those 500 in the base yeah, is interested at all. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, re it's really hard because especially if you have within the company, if you have the lead generation mindset, you know, if you don't, ha I mean, it's not only the marketer that needs to change the mindset, but it's also the, let's say, the management or the, the executives who are making decision or pushing or, let's say, measuring the marketing. If that, that's how the, you're measuring marketing, then, of course, this yeah. is what you're going to get. If you're measuring marketing based on the performance, but that only makes sense if you're, I don't know, selling shoes on an e-commerce website or something like that, which is much more transactional, right? Yeah. But if you're selling these like expensive, complex products that, you know, people are buying at just at a, at a specific time and it's like a buying committee with different roles, it's a complex sale, it takes a lot of time, first of them, to figure out whether they want and need that product. That I mean, they could have as well decided for example, for that plan, maybe they could have decided to invest in the marketing technology. So even like the, the category, like they first even have to like figure out, okay, this is what we yeah. want. We want to work, let's say, you know, account-based marketing or whatever, like first to figure out the category before they would even start to, to resonate with the, with the specific vendors. But do you have a framework that people can follow if they want to yeah, do real B2B marketing that drives revenue? Something that's not present. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, is there like is there possibility for me to share maybe quickly my my screen, or is is that what you want, or should <laughs> I just walk you through it? Uh, if you yeah, absolutely. If you can share it, let me just see. Um, yeah, I think this is a good one. Okay, so hopefully that's visible. Basically, we, we speak about full funnel B2B marketing, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, and, and we touched upon on many of these, but if you look from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the, towards the bottom of the funnel, obviously, the first thing you need to do is you need to create that awareness. So this is what I, I was talking about, is you need to be on the places where your buyers are, and you need to share content. And so, again, we are not talking about the SEO-driven content. We are not talking about let's say producing content only for your website and then going on social and dropping links to your blog or your white paper or whatnot. We're talking about being where the buyers are with the content they can consume natively. So um, let's say the LinkedIn posts, the native posts, the video, the podcast, the what, whatnot, right? So you have different ways in which you can do that. The, that's the awareness stage where people are just understanding the problem, they're understanding the opportunity, they are not really yet in the buying mode. But then you can start actually, even if there is no direct demand, if there is a demand, if people are looking, again, they can find you, if they're aware of you, they can find you and they can like book a call with you. I mean, it's as simple as that. But if there is no demand yet, you can generate this demand. Well. A lot of people talk about demand generation, but what does it really mean? Because demand can only be created when you show a solution, right? I mean, demand for a solution can only happen when people understand what a solution to their problem is, how this could be beneficial, why this would be a good fit for you know the, their problem, their situation. So this is what happens here. Well, why do they get that, that this is actually you know a solution to the problem they are having? The, that this this could be the like you say, the specific benefits, that this is a good fit. And 
And one of the best ways that work for us, and I know also some other companies, is like detailed case studies. They work really well. And because they show another customer who is very much similar to you, the buyer, in the same situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the two-page case study where it's just like same as everybody else does, but really like giving the detail about the situation, about the steps that they had to take so that people can really imagine, okay, so if I want to implement this, uh, you know, who will I need? What will be the impact? How, how long will it take before I start seeing the results? Uh, is this something that I can afford at this moment in terms of like, you know, you know, the teams and the people that I will need to implement? It's like there's so much that goes into buying an implementation because people are not just thinking about buying, they're thinking about, okay, I have the system, I need to implement it. I need to maybe, maybe we have just finished implementation of a new CRM and, and there is like, everybody's so tired of it. So we are absolutely not ready to implement another software system inside, right? So before we settle with that. So these are the kind of things that you want to communicate in your case studies that you really imagine uh, themselves, okay, and that makes sense for me. Of course, sharing the results, concrete results that they were having, you know, result-oriented case studies and things like that. So um, in the next step, we spoke about here uh, demand capturing. So outside of them finding you and reaching out to you, we spoke about ways in which you can turn the engagement into conversations. You can, like I, sh I shared, like if, if you're sharing a case study with the content hub and then you have content analytics and you can turn, like you know that they're checking mm -hmm. that. So again, you're reaching out to them. You can invite, so, uh, you know, you can invite proactively uh, these pro prospects that are engaged. You can invite them to, let's say, a podcast interview, like you invited me and learn more about their situation, challenges and uh, priorities. You can invite them to specific events. So. Actually, instead of just doing these big awareness events, you can do like very spe specific events, let's say middle of the funnel where you can talk more about, you know, specific specific problems, maybe with your customer. Uh, sometimes uh, we did this like a case study together with our customers live on a webinar and all, all of these things. Then you want to, uh, again, uh, not to leave the money on table, you want to activate those accounts that are, that are uh, engaging. Um, one of the things that work very well for us is, for example, direct mail, you know, um, with creative outreach. Yeah, we, you mean we, like yeah, yeah, gifts gifting, or but not in a way that yeah. a lot of companies are doing, which is just sending a mug or a T-shirt, some, something that everybody else is uh, sending. What we usually do is we send a personalized gift, a gift that you might buy them for a present if you knew them. So we try to figure out what their interests are yeah. so you can send them something you are sure they will, they, they will capture their attention. And then we, uh, in, the, in the mail that we share, we actually refer that and build a story around it so we are sure that they will read it. So let's say that you are into alpine cycling, you like to cycle um, you know, with your friends and family in the Alps and we send you a book about it, and then maybe I send you a letter where I start talking about, okay, what do uh, B2B sales and cycling have in common, and actually start sharing, uh, you know, start basically get your attention, so you start reading it, and then may I, I may refer something that I learned in conversation with you by researching your account and, and saying, hey, by the way, I know that, I don't know, um, 
some of the major trade shows that you uh, that were so important to you because actually I read this this is a real example I read this article and I knew these trade shows were very important to them they were canceled <laughs> at the time and <laughs> I knew that he was actually looking to um, build an email marketing strategy to replace uh, the pipeline you know online with with online online uh, marketing and, and and demand generation and account based marketing so of course now I can, instead of talking about very specific, uh, very generic challenges and solutions, I can build, let's say, a personalized solution. So this is this is the kind of attention you you can put if you're selling, let's say, more expensive products. If you already know that they're interested, if you have this insight, if they're already engaging. This is the moment where you can like really capitalize on that and turn that into a very relevant conversation about your solution. But still, even if they don't buy from you that day that's still fine and there's that's still not pushy because you know i mean always people are kind of like i mean the worst thing that can happen is they will have a good memory right they will it's different it's funny it's something yeah, nice exactly. maybe something nice that they can keep at their desk or whatever something that they will use so you stand out <laughs> yes you stand out from the crowd because uh, yeah i did a similar strategy where we created notebooks with quotes oh. from those people. And yeah, they have notebooks typically, yeah, purely designed for them. And everyone was sending back photos with their notebook well done, that was well already done. filled out. Like, well done, well you know, done. It's those relationships. So you see how we are actually like, as we are moving down the funnel, we are always trying to you know, to take that a step further, but only if we know that there is interest, there is engagement, if we know we have these triggers or in account-based marketing, they call this the intense data, you know, whatever you like to call it, it's basically mm -hmm. some indication, some knowledge that we have some insight that they are now in the buying mode and, you know, ready to take that to the next step. Of course, we're still not 100% sure but if we have done all the steps before, they will know already a lot about us. They will, you know, know who we are. We, they will know why we are different and why we are worth buying. And usually if you do it like that, actually in our case, of course it depends, like uh, if you're selling to enterprises and, and you're selling a big software, you will always have competition, but uh, usually then you will be on top because they will kind of, they will impact and influence their purchase criteria actually, right? What, what you're doing here with demand generation and, and, and th throughout this funnel, you're actually impacting their purchase criteria and stacking the odds in your favor. And to us, it happens very often that we are the only ones. So they are not even reaching to a competitor if you've done the, the first part uh, mm -hmm. very good. Now, just to, to wrap it up uh, with, with the last case. step, just to wrap it up because it's the full funnel. We call it the full funnel because it doesn't stop with a sale. So... Once you've sold, I mean, and even during the sale, you can still help sales with, you know, buyer enablement content and all of these things. But even then, you know, during the, the client success, you can do the interviews of these customers. You can turn that into, let's say, um, advocacy, let's say, whether they you're getting referrals, whether you're getting a case study they can use. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, for example, we did some events together with our customers. So... You can basically turn that successful implementation and a happy customer into an advocate. So that's another another piece of the puzzle. But also like 
one thing that a lot of companies miss big uh, is upsells and expansions, right? So you have existing accounts. Usually it's much easier to sell to an existing account than it is to create a new one. Uh, most of the companies only focus on acquisition. And actually, if you're not doing, if you're not looking at the existing accounts, you one risk that they will churn and they will not tell you, like 91% of unsatisfied customers don't say before they churn. So assuming that they're happy just because they're not complaining is yeah. a very <laughs> wrong and dangerous assumption. You are missing out on potential upsell opportunities. Maybe there is a new feature. Maybe there is more, you know, functionality or whatever that you can upsell to them. If you're in constant content, contact, if you're also marketing to existing accounts, you can, you know, make them aware of that and, you know, also learn that there may be an opportunity or deal expansion. And by that, I mean simply, you know, maybe one part of the organization is using your product, but the other part is not using your product. So you can use that initial successful implementation and build a whole story in the case study around it, which will have much more credibility in the other departments of parts of the organization because it's coming from them. It's not like... Uh, you know, uh, a random customer that they don't know, they can like just call them and see and um, the trust is like much, much larger there. So to, to cut the very long story short, this is what we call the full funnel marketing. And you, you can see how it goes from the start to the end and always trying to close the loop, right? Always trying to get the maximum because why? Because yeah. when you're selling, uh, you know, five, six-figure deals, you don't need a lot of customers. You need the right customers. So it means that you're going to be targeting very narrowly, narrowly uh, you know, the ideal accounts. And when you're targeting those ideal accounts, you're not going to be targeting a huge list. You're not going to be targeting marketing out in the open. But then it means that you want to get the maximum out of it. How can I get that maximum? How can I make sure that I'm generating opportunities with 20, 30, uh, over time, maybe even like 40, 50% of my target accounts. That's that's why you are uh, looking at it like that. So how can we maximize this? I love this approach. Like when I looked at the funnel, it, it basically looks like building relationships at scale because B2B is in a huge part about relationships and building that connection. And here, like when someone gets into the funnel yeah that's that's a, yeah, yeah that's good take one. care yeah. of them all the time yeah because i mean yeah because it's already so difficult right and they're potentially so valuable so it's actually crazy to let them go right as long as they are willingly staying i mean you leave them in control yeah but you're always trying to take that relationship to the next step and and get more out of it and in a way that is not salesy, in a way that is not pushy, in a way that I actually appreciate it because you're helping, you're offering solutions, whether that's via free content, whether that's, you know, uh, via some advice and conversations, maybe featuring them in some publication, et cetera, like kind of like um, helping them raise their own personal, whatever you're doing, you're not doing it in a way that they, they, they yeah. feel like being sold to, that they feel that it's pushed. It's only when they really are saying, okay, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really interested to learn more that you're actually then going into the actual sale, but that's just a normal part of business. Like <laughs> I've never met a person that likes to be sold to. <laughs> so yeah. 
You don't we like to be buy. Mind when doing marketing. No, you don't like to be sold to. So your your job is actually to yeah. help people buy, and exactly. You know, and also sometimes just get out of their way and not make it too complicated. Make it simple uh, to buy from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was great. I have two questions for the end for you. So, who's a B two B leader that I should have on the show? Andres Zinkevich, I would definitely always recommend him, even if he would. <laughs> it's a shameless plug because he's my co-founder, but uh, I, I would even if yeah. he wasn't, I would be that would be the first person to recommend uh, on any podcast, a B two B podcast. And you know, I've been thinking about mm-hmm. if you asked me this question, I've been thinking about it, and I would actually recommend you speak to Fran Langham. She's the head of demand generation at Cognizant. I love her content. Yeah. Uh, it's very practical. They've just made this transition from lead generation into demand generation. She's sharing about that on LinkedIn, and I, I'm, I'm sure she will be an amazing guest. Awesome. I will surely invite her. And I'm already scheduled with Andre, so <laughs> it will be awesome. Yeah. So please tell me, and yeah. Not only me, because we are already connect- connected on LinkedIn, but tell the audience where they can find you and yeah, what do you do? How can you help them in driving revenue? Okay, so well, thank you for that question. So we work with B2B companies with high ACV, high annual contract value, let's say between 30,000, 40,000 a year until 300,000, uh, 400,000 a year. We have, of course, outliers, a little bit bigger contracts. Uh, but this is the, let's say the average usually b2b it's b2b tech companies so that means b2b SaaS, selling to enterprise mid-market sometimes also technical services as well uh, we do have a few clients there as well in experience and we help them basically implement this uh, framework that i shared today you know we have you know playbooks on how we can implement the processes uh, so that they can start small with pilots Um, that they can understand how this works, that they can like prove it to themselves and to their management, to their executives, that this is actually uh, bringing much bigger ROI than the way that they used to do it. Uh, before they, uh, then we will help them operationalize this, make this into an evergreen process before they uh, can start scaling that. And people usually do this the other way around, right? So this is what we do. This is how we work. And uh, where can people find more about us? Of course, at our website, fullfunnel.io. And you're always free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm sure that Felician will drop the link to my profile. You can always connect. If you say that you heard me at the Be a B2B Leader podcast, uh, I'll be happy to connect. If you have any questions, just reach out. We're sharing content daily there. And um, I'm sure that uh, this is this is a good good way for us to get acquainted. If you want to learn how to do marketing that really impacts your company, make sure to follow Vladimir on LinkedIn because he's sharing awesome posts every day, and really every day, like it's mind blowing. <laughs> thank you very much, Felician. Uh, thank you for being a guest on the show. And see ya. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host, Felician, and I would love to hear from you and learn what I can improve. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app, and see you next time.